The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. And I want to thank all of you for joining us today. We know that we have listeners around the world and across the United States and in Canada, and we're just so glad that you're listening. Thank you for participating here with us at the Spirit of Recovery. And also, we're grateful that you're letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your unity community and your other spiritual communities know about us here at Spirit of Recovery. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery here on Unity Online Radio, unity.fm. And know that you can listen now on your mobile listening device. Know that also our programs are archived. You can access those at www.unity.fm backslash program backslash spirit of recovery. So you can listen to our more than year's worth now of archived programs anytime you want. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community and we always have guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative. People who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people. And we are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. We're a welcoming place here at Spirit of Recovery. We realize that recovery is a broad topic and a big tent. And so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're a family member who's in your own recovery as a family member or a family member or friend of somebody that has the disease of addiction, whether or not they're in recovery, or if you're just curious and interested and you just want to know more about this process of recovery and the spirituality of it, we welcome you and we welcome your participation in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister and a Recovery Counselor. 
Also, I'm a person who has, in my circle of love and friendship, many people with the disease of addiction. And 30 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and recovery and spiritual development. And my path is an integration of the unity principles and the recovery principles. And that keeps me growing. I'm very delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you to bring you excellent guests and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery. Today, my guest is Father Richard Rohr, and our topic is how to recover from that universal addiction, stinking thinking, and all these other <laughs> things you've been afraid to ask. And uh, I'm just delighted to have Father Richard here on the program today. He is a prolific author, a popular speaker, and he is the founding director for the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Father Richard considers the proclamation of the gospel to be his primary call, and he also integrates that with several related themes. He, uh, those include eco-spirituality, scripture as liberation, non-dual thought, the integration of action and contemplation, peace and justice issues, and male spirituality. He is the author of many books, and he is a regular contributing writer for Sojourners and Tukun magazines, and he has written an, uh, a book that's particularly relevant to us today called Breathing Underwater, Spirituality, and the Twelve Steps. So, Father Richard, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm honored to be with you. Thank you. A few, uh, I don't know, about a month ago, a friend of mine gave me your book, Breathing Underwater, uh, oh. The wis- Wisdom of Spirituality and, and the Twelve Steps. And uh, it just really touched me. I loved it. I loved everything you said oh, in there. Oh, that makes me happy. Thank you. You are welcome. So uh, we've got lots to talk about here today. I, I know that in the opening to that book, you said that you gave talks 25 years ago about the wisdom of the 12 steps and how, uh, you quote St. Francis, how they uh, coincide with the very marrow of the gospel. And that was obvious to you, but it didn't seem to be obvious to other people. Tell us about that. How did you come to integrate these two wisdom paths? You know, 25 years later, it's still a surprise to me that that others don't see what, what seems so obvious. Uh, maybe you have to be in the position where you admit your addiction. But, uh, you know, it seems like church people are on their church track, and some recovery people are on their rightful recovery track. But they don't have the uh, maybe the distance, maybe the perspective to see that they're really the same track. Uh, maybe it's because we use very different vocabularies, although we really shouldn't, but church has developed its own rather sophisticated theological language. And the thing I like about the 12 steps is that they, I, I call it America's contribution to the history of spirituality because the language is very American. And what I mean by that, it's very practical. It, it means what it says. It's down to earth. It doesn't get lost in highfalutin vocabularies. And um, so I, I desired in those original tapes and now in the book to, to make what I thought was obvious, obvious to other people too. 
So I hope it's having that effect. Right. What kind of feedback have you gotten from from your ideas in there? And I, again, you, I'm sure you've you've spoken about them many times, and and now mm-hmm. in the book, what do people say about them? Well, I have to say now, maybe I'm moving into elite uh, circles or something. But thus far, I haven't got a single negative letter or email or personal comment, which makes me very happy because I think people see, my gosh, this is common sense. There's really nothing to fight. (laughs) Uh, Now, probably arch-conservative or fundamentalist Christians wouldn't even read my books. So uh, maybe that's the reason, too. (laughs) Those who might be uh, prone to dismiss me, um, maybe I'm not hearing their criticisms. And I I have to hear that, too, if they're out there. Mm -hmm. Right. The basic premise of the book, as I understand it, is that concept uh, that we have to be broken before we can be whole. And um, you, you speak about the the foundational addiction as as being stinking thinking or being you talk about um right. so t- tell us about that what do you mean well first of all the comment on your your first statement you know for a christian who knows the new testament uh paul's constant theme when i am weak i am strong so this is this is very biblical but i i think we made christianity into a language of ascent a language of climbing, achieving, performing, succeeding. And in that, we mirrored Western Christianity, or Western civilization, I should say. So we just didn't have the ears to hear it, that it was right there hidden in plain sight. Uh, now, forgive me, the second part of your question was... You asked, was it was about how that... Um, how the uh, steps and the the idea that when um, we're only those that have that it's a spiritual disease only that it, the stinking thinking is the foundational oh, the addiction thinking, that was it yeah. yeah yeah well you know the name of our center here in New Mexico is the Center for Action and Contemplation it's a long title but uh, I wanted to put it in the title 25 years ago when we started the center to keep us true to our mission. Now, contemplation is a rather fancy word for most people, but it's simply the word that is uh, trying to reveal the problem, that our normal manner of thinking is, is thinking thinking. <laughs> we, the one universal addiction is that we all human beings are addicted to their own patterns of thinking. And, and that makes sense. We get used to what we're used to. But religions at the higher levels, and I don't just mean Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, all recognize that this low-level mind had to be transformed. You had to give people different software, or they wouldn't read reality in a free and open way. They would read it in a blaming way or a fearful way. I call that dualistic thinking. So contemplation is a different mind. And uh, again, this was a, a great similarity with the work of Bill Wilson and the 12 Steps when they made it very clear that 
even in the 11th step, that we've got to, by a practice of prayer and meditation, as the 11th step puts it, we've, we will not go deeper without that practice. We won't go deeper because we'll try to solve our, our problem with our old software, if I can use that computer metaphor. So this is very ancient traditional teaching that um, we need to change the software. And we call that change the contemplative mind or contemplative thinking instead of dualistic, binary, all-or-nothing thinking. And as many of us know who've worked with addicts, what characterizes the disease of addiction, and I always say, well, I'd, I'd turn to drink too if I saw everything in terms of either or. It's either totally perfect or then it's terrible. That mind just doesn't get you anywhere. Right. Yeah, it just it keeps uh, whirling around on that same gerbil wheel. There Never solves anything. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're coming together here. I really think we're seeing uh, some common problems, and they're rather universal problems. And again, one of the, the geniuses of, of the recovery movement is that it has the courage to name it as a disease. Whereas we in the organized religion world, we tended to throw the word sin around rather easily. I'm not here to deny the reality of sin. But I am saying that it too quickly implies culpability or fault. Uh, And I'm sure there are things we are culpable for. I'm not trying to deny that. But when you jump to culpability too quick, oftentimes people aren't able to recognize this predisposition, this woundedness, this blindness, uh, this disease. And I think when the recovery movement calls it a disease, they're doing many of us a great favor to really deal with what Christianity calls sin. (laughs) But stop implying fault, because then you just get a lot of pushback. Who wants to be accused of being at fault? Uh, And I think Bill Wilson and the, the inspired people who began this just sort of went around that without denying the reality in fact, naming the reality very honestly. Right. It's almost like when you take the blame out of it, uh, out of what we do that doesn't work, what happens is you create opportunity for people to actually feel it and heal it more deeply instead of having to defend themselves. Feel guilty about it. I mean, it just it doesn't help. Guilt does not of itself help. And sometimes I think we priests and ministers have been the primary purveyors of guilt instead of liberation from addiction or sin or the things that blind us. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I love the um, your quote there from Jose Ortega Igasset. Oh, yeah. Igasset. Mm-hmm. 
These are the only genuine ideas, the ideas of the shipwrecked. All the rest is rhetoric, posturing farce. How'd you pick that one? Yeah, I put that right at the beginning of the book. I had read it years ago. He's a Latin American novelist. But um, let me read it again. These are the only genuine ideas, the ideas of the shipwrecked. All the rest is rhetoric, posturing, and farce. I mean, it's just genius that when you're in the shipwrecked state, you're desperate for truth. And you don't care where the truth comes from. You're not going to fight whether a Christian said it or a Muslim said it or a gay person said it or a black person said it. I don't care anymore. I just want the truth. Now, before that shipwrecked state, we all tend to simply bounce around inside of our own little groups. And we only trust truth if it comes from our own little group. And it keeps us very little, I'm afraid. The shipwrecked state levels the playing field. And you start asking not just more desperate questions, but I think more honest. What do you uh, see as the uh, most honest question that we can ask ourselves at any given moment? Ah, great question yourself. You know, let me quote, first of all, Parker Palmer, that wonderful educator. And he says, there are honest and dishonest questions. And I, I learned this being on the road now for 40-some years. There's often people in the crowd trying to trap me or accuse me of heresy or something. And I found that so often their questions did feel dishonest. And what Parker Palmer says is that a dishonest question is one that you already have the answer to. You're not really sincerely seeking. You just want to see if that person agrees with you. So to answer your question, which felt like a very honest question. I'd say the important thing is to ask honest questions that you don't already have an answer to. I listen to even the political rhetoric that we're all hearing every day on the news. You just find that so much of the questioning on both sides, on every side, is a lot of dishonest questions. We're trying to expose the other, humiliate the other, uh, create a, a line in the sand between ourself and the other by asking rhetorical questions that we hope uh, will trap them. You know. Mm -hmm. well, also, as a, a man with a background in Scripture, my um, my following and study of Jesus, I see that see that he never answered purely theoretical rhetorical questions because invariably they're not honest questions they're not looking for an answer they're trying to see if i can trap you or if you agree with me so i hope that's an answer to your question <laughs> that's, that's a great answer me. and on on that we're going to have to take a short break but hold that thought okay. this is good we're going to be right back uh sure. with my guest father richard Rohr talking about uh Stinking thinking, that foundational uh, addiction and how we can uh, get through it. We'll be right back. Okay, all. 
We'd like to take a moment to encourage you, as part of our Unity Online radio family of listeners, to support this ministry through a love offering. For your convenience, you can make one-time or recurring monthly donations. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for your support. Affirm the good that flows within you and stretch to reach your divine potential with daily inspirational messages from Daily Word. The present moment is the point of action in my life, my opportunity to create my bliss. There is no need to ruminate on the past or daydream about the future when I can do something constructive with the now. Taking advantage of the present moment is like waking up in the morning. I'm no longer in a dreamlike state. Instead, I'm fully awake and aware of what is before me. Why postpone the life I desire? Right here and right now, I can begin creating it. That may mean making a business plan, enrolling in school, or moving a relationship to the next level. Whatever my dreams, I can advance them in the present moment. Guided and supported by God, I live my best life now. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. A one-year subscription to Daily Word Digital Magazine with audio is only $9.95. That's less than three cents a day to start your day right, centered and connected to the truth within you. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. From on the air to on the sea, pack your bags and come with me. Hey, hey, what you waiting for? An early winter rendezvous with all the things you love to do. Hey, hey, treat yourself to more. A little more summer, a little more sun, a little less work and a lot more fun. A little more beach, a little more sand, a little less stress and a lot more pain. Join your favorite Unity Online Radio hosts for Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. On this fun-filled Caribbean adventure, enjoy sunshine, exceptional dining, and island excursions. Feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation, plus one-on-one time with some of your favorite hosts. That's Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. To learn more, go to unity.fm slash cruise. A little more sunset, a little more sea, a little less do and a lot more be. Hey, hey. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. 
Welcome back to the Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're joining us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic today is how to recover from that universal addiction, stinking thinking, and other things you've been afraid to ask. And my guest is Father Richard Rohr, who's a prolific author, popular speaker, and the founding director for the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, among the many books Father Richard has written is Breathing Underwater, Spirituality, and the Twelve Steps. But before Richard and I get back to our conversation, I invite you to join me for just a moment in the Serenity Minute. In focusing on this constructive idea, I invite you to be aware of your breath, to allow that breath to relax your body, to allow your mind to find that place of natural rest, to be open and refreshed. And share with me this constructive idea. I let go, trusting, knowing that there is a loving power that is guiding me every step of the way. All is well. I let go, trusting, knowing there is a loving power that is guiding me every step of the way. And all is well. Thank you, friends, for joining me in that Serenity Minute, and I trust that it is uh, an opportunity for you to relax and put that into your daily practice of prayer and meditation. And so now we're back with my guest, Father Richard Rohr, and our topic, How to Recover from That Universal Addiction, Stinking Thinking, and Other Things You've Been Afraid to Ask. So... Richard, uh, we were just uh, before the break there talking about the importance of asking questions, of being open. And you speak about the concept of opening three aspects of ourselves, our mind, our heart, and our body. Why is that essential to spirituality? You know, much of my life I've I've been in retreat work, giving people three-day, five-day, eight-day retreats. And what you find is that Nothing goes to any depth unless you can teach a person how to be really present, present to themselves, present to the moment. Without that, uh, experiences uh, are not experienced. You don't really change. So in my years of trying to teach people presence, I gradually centered in on those three centers, that you have to find a way to keep your mind space open. That's called contemplation. And you have to learn how to do that, because we naturally wrap around our old opinions and agendas. You have to learn how to keep your heart space open, and that's called healing, because most of us are carrying wounds, rejections, betrayals, disappointments, even abuse. And all of that just closes down the heart. It isn't naturally open and flowing. And the third one uh, is one that I'm sad to say as a Christian is often the most mistrusted. And that's how to really live inside of your own body. To not be somewhere else. Or to be carrying in your body all kind of shame and guilt. Uh So when all three of those are open at the same time, when your mind is present and accounted for, and not not wrapping around something else, 
when your heart is slowing and undefended, when your body is right here, right now, that's as close as I can get to describing what we mean by presence. And I bet it's happened to most people oh, now and then in their life where it's all here. Those are the moments you wait for. Those are the moments that change you. Those are the moments that that tell you that life means something. Uh, and and from a spiritual angle, I'd say those are the moments that reveal to you that you're not in charge, that someone else is steering this ship, and you're a part of a much bigger mystery, you're a part of a much bigger truth, you're a part of a much bigger love. So it's, it's, it all comes down to your capacity to be present. You know, when sounds you're talking, so simple. <laughs> right? Yeah, it it sounds simple. Uh, reads e- reads easy, does difficult, doesn't it? It really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you were talking, it it made me think about, uh, you know, back actually, it probably really started in in the early 1900s, but the influx of the influence of uh, Eastern religions into the Western mm-hmm. society, which was such a, a new thing and brought in some of those concepts of contemplation of the quiet mind and so forth. Um, yeah. And it seems certainly while those have had their very constructive influence, it also seems that in, in our Western way, some of it's gotten co-opted and, and yeah. almost become, what do you think about that, become part of the problem in a way? <laughs> well, yeah, you're making a good point. I guess that's one reason I've, I'm a Franciscan, so I'm aware that my own father, St. Francis, my order, we taught contemplation certainly as early as the 13th century. So this is not, for me, some idea from the Orient or from the East or something that compromises my... Um, But you are right. Many people, in a desire perhaps to be trendy, sort of tried to tack it on uh, to their existing belief system. And it very often created a superficial version of both Buddhism and Christianity, or whatever their Eastern practice was. Not always. There are people who genuinely went very deep with it. But I've been lucky, because of my background, to show that this was always in the Christian tradition. Uh, if you want to speak of Eastern religions, Eastern Orthodoxy has this much stronger than the Western Church. Um, And, of course, Protestantism is a child of Catholicism, so they also lost out on the wisdom that you find very clear in the first five centuries in the the Eastern version of Christianity. It feels like every time the Church divided, the great schism between East and West, and the Protestant Reformation and non-stop reformations since then. Every time we divided, we lost something. Uh, and we'd all pull into our little position and try to prove we have the whole truth. Uh, then the truth became so whittled down that, uh, of course, as you just said, we became enamored with Eastern religions, uh, but often from a very superficial background, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. I'm not trying what? to criticize the Eastern religions. I'm trying to say that we didn't have the wherewithal to to often know what they were talking about. Right. What do you, when you do your retreats, uh, what kind of a practice do you offer people, or what? How do you do? What are some practical ways that people can practice contemplation and prayer? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the easiest form is uh, what some call centering prayer. You have to teach a person in a disciplined way what to do with their flypaper mind, this monkey mind that just jumps around and identifies with every thought that comes through its head and calls that thinking. You know, (laughs) it really isn't worthy of the term thinking. It's just endless mental commentary on everything all the time and from a self-referential point. So what you've got to do is teach people to see that. And I haven't had anybody fight me yet. Yet. They said, my God, that's true. (laughs) This isn't thinking. It's just narcissistic reaction to the moment. It's not worthy of being called thinking. So once you, you have to reveal the problem... Sort of make them hit bottom, just like the 12 steps do. Uh, Admit that they're powerless to do anything about it. And then into that emptiness, into that poverty, as we Franciscans would call it. Uh, Then you teach them, here's what you do with that uh, monkey mind, that flypaper mind. You've just got to put it to the side. Don't indulge it. Don't jump on to every thought. It's, it's a discipline at the beginning. So like at our center, we start the day. We, I did it this morning. Uh, the staff gathers in a circle, and we sit, and we sit in silence for 20 minutes. Now, in the first months, it's very hard for new employees. If they haven't been trained, they just don't know what to do with that silence. Some people who have a strong metabolism, young men in particular very often, it's better to teach them some form of walking prayer or walking meditation where they can expel the energy in their body but stop identifying with their compulsive thinking. So what the 12-step programs call stinking thinking, I would call compulsive thinking. And I would say... Most thinking is compulsive. Most. I know that sounds like an overstatement, but now we have neuroscientists proving it, that people have a few preferred neural grooves that they return to, and as you get older, you have fewer and fewer. You just keep using the same old response. (laughs) And so in contemplation... Whatever practice keeps you from going back to your usual addictive response, that's what you have to learn. And any good teacher will, will, will help you to recognize it and to find some kind of practice for letting go of it, detaching from it. So it's, it's an exercise in dying. It's an exercise in detaching that you do not indulge your usual practiced responses. So it's work. 
but eventually it becomes grace because once that that field of freedom opens where you don't dualistically fight, blame, accuse, fear, attack, uh, you're in a much more beautiful space to do honest thinking. Could you give us a, a time, either yourself or somebody that you've seen as you've practiced that detachment from that compulsive thinking how how it's different? What's an action, a situation that was different because the person was in that beautiful space instead of being locked into the compulsive thinking? Yeah. You know, the, the I think the first thing you see is an increase in compassion. You stop being so hard on yourself because you don't believe all these judgments anymore. You detach from them. And once you start being more compassionate with your own self, you stop this endless inner attacking, uh, then you grant that same grace to everybody else. In fact, if I don't see an increase in basic love, patience, compassion, I don't think they're praying in the way I understand prayer. Uh, when you see people who are still racist or sexist or homophobic or paranoid, you know they're not praying. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know what other way to say it. You know they're not praying. Because when you go to that place where all things are one in God, and that's what it is, um, you just don't have time left to hate anybody. It, you see it for the delusion that it is, for the manufactured problem that it is. So that's what I call contemplation the change that changes everything. You don't tell people what to see, as we've so often done in the church, but you teach people how to see. And then the conclusions take care of themselves. You speak of the importance, and certainly this is in the 12 steps of, uh, not, not in these ways, but you talk about a broken heart and about the importance of having that, your heart broken. Why do you, why do people need to have their hearts broken at least once? Well, you see, as long as we think we're steering the ship, as long as we think, I'm right, or I've got the whole truth, you're not really very teachable. Uh, that whole ego illusion has to be radically undercut. Now, there might be other words for it, uh, but for many of us, we would describe it as our heartbreaking. Maybe it's an experience of failure, humiliation, defeat, loss of job, loss of reputation, death in the family. But something has to break open our glib certitudes, our glib uh, assurance that I've got the whole picture <laughs> or I've got it right. Um, there, there's, there's my, my um, book right before this book was called Falling Upward. And the reason I entitled it that 
is because I think that's the whole message that that most of the great religions are talking about. There is a necessary falling. And ironically, paradoxically, but you only know it after the fact, that falling leads you not downward, but upward. So you can see why I wrote a book on the 12 steps, because no one says that better than they do. That it, it, it's like the mystery hidden in plain sight, falling upward. <laughs> but you, everything in you does not want to believe it until you've, you're on the other side, and then you know it's true. But if you've never had your heart broken, never failed, never been humiliated, there's something essential you don't know. Now, as a Christian, and I'm not trying to make Christians out of everybody, but I think that's the real meaning of the wounded body of Jesus and why we Catholics hung it at the center of our churches. It's saying through the wound, you come to redemption. So this is, this is very orthodox Christian theology. But we projected it all onto Jesus, instead of realizing that Jesus was giving us an agenda for ourselves. This is true for you, too. It's not just something you're supposed to worship in me. As I love to say, Jesus never said, worship me. He said, follow me. And what I have done, you also must do. That's right. And on that Uh, note, we're time for our next break. But hold that thought. It's a great one. Okay. Okay. We'll be right back. If you've tuned in for Touching the Stillness with host Reverend Paulette Pipe, then you know the power of her soul-stirring meditations. And if her programs leave you wanting more, you can purchase her meditation CD, Touching the Stillness, and you'll be able to take Paulette's calming voice along with you wherever you go. This enthralling CD contains three separate self-contained meditations that can either be listened to in one sitting or one at a time. Whatever your preference, Paulette's mesmerizing voice will transport you beyond thoughts and sounds to a sacred place of stillness and soul remembrance. So go ahead, enliven your meditation practice with the Touching the Stillness CD from Reverend Paulette Pipe and let the stillness touch you. To obtain your copy, go to www.unity.org and click on Shop. That's www.unity.org and click on shop. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is how to recover from that universal addiction, stinking thinking, and other things you've been afraid to ask. And my guest is Father Richard Rohr. He's a prolific author, a popular speaker, and he's the founding director of the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, Richard considers the proclamation of the gospel his primary call, and he integrates that with many themes of uh, ecology, uh, eco-spirituality with justice and liberation issues, and male spirituality. And he has uh, written, as one of the many books he's written, it's called Breathing Underwater, Spirituality and the Twelve Steps. And you can learn more about Richard and his um, understanding of spirituality and that vital spiritual experience by visiting his website at www.cacradicalgrace.org. And his last name is Rohr, R-O-H-R. So I know you can find him and learn more about uh, what he has to say and and uh, what he writes. So, Richard, uh, right before the break, you were telling us some very interesting things about the religion of Jesus, or that's not how you phrased it, but anyway, what what you were saying Jesus' message was, and I know you are very uh, interested in his healing ministry and write about that. Tell us some more about how you understand what Jesus' message is and was. Well, that's uh, sort of my whole life, so I don't know where to begin, but let me start by saying that, and this probably makes me a heretic in some people's minds, but I don't think so. I don't think Jesus came to found a competing religion with the other world religions. He died as a good Jew, assuming he was reforming Judaism, and Judaism is simply archetypal religion. It makes the mistakes that all religion makes, and it does with great brilliance what all religion also does. And he's saying simply, don't do this, don't go there. Anyway, it became the imperial religion of the Western Empire, which is why we call it Roman Catholicism originally. It was more Roman than Catholic, however. Catholic meaning universal. So we got off to a bad start by identifying with power and money and empire and war uh, there were just, after that, after 313, when Constantine uh, started making us the established religion, uh, there were just a whole bunch of things about Jesus that we, we didn't have the ears to hear anymore. We didn't have the freedom to hear it anymore. It was nobody's fault. No one was malicious. Every viewpoint is a view from a point. And our view for the next centuries was not from the bottom up, but from the top down. We were the imperial religion of the establishment. And that changed everything, I think. You know, you can't see what you're not told to look for. And we weren't told to look for uh, Jesus' healing ministry or Jesus' teaching on nonviolence, which is clear 
or Jesus' teaching on simplicity of lifestyle. You can't hear things about simplicity of lifestyle when you're imitating the Roman imperial court. And when the Pope and the bishops, excuse me, it's my own church, but, you know, dress like the imperial court. Uh, you just, you're, you're looking out at the Gospels from a different perspective. And most simply, it's the perspective of religion, an established religion, not a way of life that transforms you. In fact, after a while, we didn't even expect people to be transformed. You were just Catholic because you were Italian. You were Catholic because you were Irish or Spanish. We didn't really expect them to be different. <clears throat> and I think that's what a lot of the Protestant reformers came to tell us. But then they often fell into the same mistake. As soon as they identified with power and money and organization instead of um, the mystery of transformation itself. You write about that the, the church is drowning unaware of the fact that it's drowning. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, and again, I, I wanna, I'm still a priest in good standing because I think the powers that be, the bishops, they know that I know the tradition. And in fact, it's my training in Orthodox Catholic theology that ironically has given me the platform and the, the wherewithal to critique Catholicism. Isn't that a paradox? But you could say the same thing about Jesus, that I think because he loved Judaism is why he critiqued Judaism. Not because he hated it, but because he loved it. So I hope I'm in the same position of, of uh, trying to be an inner lover critic, uh, keeping us faithful to what we say we really believe. And this is coming now from so many sources in every denomination. We're calling it emerging Christianity because it's emerging from the bottom, not in a rebellious way, not in an angry way. We can't, we can't do reformations that way anymore because it lends itself to dualistic thinking. I'm totally right, and the previous group is totally wrong. And that's never true. It's never true. So there's a kind of humility that I see emerging in uh, many of the reformers, in all the churches. I hope that's some kind of answer to your question. But it, it gives me a great deal of hope that that consciousness, holiness, Maturity is really evolving and happening. Good. Uh, we just have a few minutes left here, but if you could comment on on that some more. You know, I, you talk also about our society, which is an addicted society. Anne Wilson Schaaf wrote about that uh, yeah. several years mm-hmm. ago. You you speak of her, familiar with her work. What's what is it that's going to help us? You talking about coming from the bottom up. How can we uh, participate in this emerging Christianity, emerging spirituality, mm-hmm. whatever yeah. flavor? Mm. Mm. You know, if what the twelve steps say is true, and what Jesus says is true, that you got to go down before you can go up. Uh, I I hesitate to say it, but I'm afraid we're going to have to hit bottom. When when we had the 
the economic downturn that we did in 2008, and you see the vast majority of people wanting to go right back into the same game all over again of endless greed, endless consumerism. I mean, just your logical mind should tell you that can't be sustained. This is a limited planet with limited resources. But our desire for power, possessions, prestige, it's so deep that I'm afraid until it's radically taken from us, the vast majority of people are not going to, to change. I'm afraid on some levels we're going to have to hit bottom. and I don't want that to happen because who's going to lose the most? The poor and the, the marginalized, the, the disadvantaged will suffer the most. Um, but I, I am given hope by the fact that there really are a lot of people who talk about the great turning, the great work, from so many sources. I, I can talk the way I'm talking to you, to crowds all over this country and Europe. And, you know, people are, are not fighting it. So that tells me we are growing up. But it, it still feels like, you know, two steps forward, three steps backward. We get it. And the more we get it, the opposition and the resistance digs in its heels uh, with even greater anger and greater fear. But that's the story of history. Right. I think about the, the recovery journey and the, the paradox. I know you talk a lot about paradox as well. The paradox of the recovery journey is when the people that around you get hardened up is the, the trick is for yourself not to get hardened up because that's not that's recovery. Right. That's right. And that's, that's the tough good. part. That's the tough mm-hmm. part. Yep. Yeah, because we tend to resist hardness with our own hardness. And then both of us lose. Yep. That's right. Thank you. Richard, thank you so much for being with us today. I regret that our time is at an end here. Uh, you shared such riches with us, and thank you for what you do and for the influence that you have, and I uh, see you just blessed and continuing to do that in bigger and in broader ways and touching people's hearts and minds. Thanks for being with us today. I'm honored. You make me very happy. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, you Bye. too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. And uh, thank you all for listening. Next week we'll be back, and we'll, our, my guest is Carol Ackley, who's the dir- director of the River Ridge Treatment Center in Minnesota, and we're going to be focusing on women's recovery, new concepts for women's recovery. That's trauma-informed, that focuses on empowerment and self-love. And so God bless you. Know you're in my thoughts and prayers, and we'll be with you again next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org.
What would a human life, based on the principles of an evolutionary spirituality, look like? Reverend Kelly Isola wants to talk with people of every faith or no faith at all to passionately participate in the next great epic in the emergence of consciousness and culture. If the choice is ours to consciously evolve, then what can life look like at this pivotal time in human history? Join us each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time for Spiraling Consciousness with host Reverend Kelly Isola right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists discussing things like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Oh, no, no, no. He has a list of upcoming guests that sounds like a roll call of the Interfaith Council. Rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better. He's going to introduce a topic and let them go for it. Imagine having a rabbi and a Catholic priest talking about Jesus as a Jew. Or asking a biblical literalist to explain creationism to a liberal Christian Bible scholar. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? (laughs) If I know Dr. Tom, he'll keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It. And it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So, let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. Do you think you know all you want to know about the characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? Or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women? The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Reverends Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from a historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of this lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life only at Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 